You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Adi Shankar is a Hollywood producer who is the go-to guy for adaptations of video game series, including Netflix shows like Castlevania, Captain Laserhawk, and the upcoming Devil May Cry show. We chat about how he created his dream job in his 20s, how he convinced Hollywood gatekeepers to let him pursue his vision without their interference, and the steps to invent your own job that is both creatively fulfilling and commercially successful. Tell me about Laserhawk. Where does that creative germ come from so this is your most recent netflix show it's yeah. based on ubisoft properties yes but like loosely your own interpretation and i think for those of you watching we will talk about what how you have what i think is the coolest job where these companies at a very young age you're in your mid-30s basically mm-hmm. give you permission to take their ip uh go ham at yeah. it the way like you were able to do some stuff with rayman that i cannot believe that they gave you permission to do i won't spoil anything oh we could spoil it they, they gave you tremendous creative license yes. with their intellectual property uh and i think that's just awesome and incredible so like let's start with laser arc where does that germ come from so with captain Laserhawk, so the mm-hmm. full title captain Laserhawk blood dragon remix so i, I will describe the process mm-hmm. but keep in mind as i'm describing it i'm really reverse engineering something that I do intuitively. Mm -hmm. So in a way, it's a download, it's a channel. I'm seeing something play out in my, in my, in my head, in my mind's eye. I'm I'm observing this like alternate reality and I'm kind of transcribing it. Mm -hmm. That's what it feels like. Now, if I, if I were to kind of dissect the elements, it's effectively, I love Orwell. George Orwell, 1984, Animal Farm. I love Aldous Huxley, Brave New World. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Neuromancer. I'm a, I'm a huge sci-fi guy, sci- sci-fi, science fiction buff, right? Mm-hmm. And I love alternate history, uh, Philip K. Dick. Um, and uh, I love dystopian science fiction. The kind of science fiction that ends up being a mirror. It's like about this alternate world, but it's really a mirror. Yeah, it's, it's a mirror. Social commentary. Yeah, social or, commentary. Yeah. So I wanted to do that, uh, and I wanted, and I like world building, right? Like I was like, I didn't really like Lord of the Rings, but I was like, oh, it's dope that this dude got to like <laughs> calling him a dude, uh, <laughs> got to like create this universe. Like I want to create a. Universe. I feel the same way, by the yeah. way. Like the plot of Lord of the Rings is a little bit like nobody dies after Boromir. Basically, mm-hmm. that's yeah. like one of the main things. And to me, that's not as engaging. Mm-hmm. But the world and the languages that he made and the histories and this guy's dad going back 4,000 years, mm-hmm. that to me seems like such a treat to get to just live in for yeah. for decades at totally. a time. Yeah. 
and I have these like alternate worlds, like, like they almost exist within me. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. No, totally. Yeah. Um, and then what I wanted to do was populate this world with alternate versions or reimagined or remixed or whatever the nomenclature is I'm using today. Mm-hmm. Uh, reimagined versions of known IP. Mm-hmm. Right? I was like, oh, what if Sam Fisher, the the hero from Splinter Cell, mm-hmm. what if he's not like that, but he's like this? Drop him in the world, see what happens. Mm-hmm. And so you're letting these ideas kind of bounce off of each other. Like, what if, say, I won't feel it, but like Rayman was an XYZ, and how would that interact with the Sam Fisher who looked like this in a dystopian world? Right, exactly. And I saw, you know, so at, at like the earliest stage of this process, Mm-hmm. I saw um, a few images. One was Rayman with Tommy guns. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, oh. I want okay. that to so, happen. <laughs> so Rayman has Tommy guns. And then I also saw Rayman being the chief propaganda officer mm-hmm. of the fascist regime mm. that controlled everything in this world. Uh, and I saw the the Raving Rabbids, which, you know, the Raving Rabbids. But I saw them as, as Godzilla-esque kaiju. Mm-hmm. And I like wrote those down. Mm-hmm. And then it just started, you know, coming. Got it. And like, by the way, the, for the people who don't know some of these, these are intellectual property from video games and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're, you know, and yeah, they're, these are big, massive. Yeah. I, IP. Um, yeah. And then the question is, how do I get them to go together? Do you see yourself, have you heard like George R. R. Martin talk about his process as if he's a gardener? Are you familiar with that? Yes. Uh, is, and I actually, so... Not to be a douchebag, I <laughs> I uh, I had this conversation with we had dinner. Really? Yeah, we had dinner. Oh, dude, um, tell me about that. As I was writing this, actually, <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, yeah, not. I didn't tell him about this. Okay, I was talking to him about something else. Right, I was like, um, "Where's Winds of Winter?" <laughs> <laughs> no, he was like, he, he gave me like Lannister gold. He had like uh, Game of Thrones coins. That is the coolest. He thing He like ever. gave me Game of Thrones coins, and then he like he was like, "Hey, man, like." Um, yeah, very nice guy. Yeah. He's a very, very nice guy. But yeah, the, the gardening thing, he's like, oh, you, you know, I, I, I now I'm like, I don't want to put words in George R.R. R. Martin's yeah. mouth. But, but it, well, if I remember correctly, it's that he has an end in mind that he'd like to get to. He'd like his garden to look a certain way. And he's got some seeds in there. Yes. But he doesn't know the exact way that it's going to happen. And sometimes the seeds take him in a direction that he didn't think he was going to go. So he's kind of allowing the organic growth of these characters to influence and shape the story particularly in the middle which is why he's having such a difficult time getting to the final thing that he would like to see because it's like yeah. oh shit how do we get from where i wound up to where i had sort of planned that i wanted to be and foreshadowed yeah. as opposed to somebody who choreographs every single step of it and loses some of that organic character teaching you where the story needs to go 100 percent, yeah and that's 1000 percent my process okay right like um, I'd say of all the, you know, season one is six episodes mm-hmm. of all the episodes. The one that was rewritten the most mm. was episode four. Mm. That's, that's the winds of winter episode yeah. basically, which is right before the final act. How do we, well, I get, have this yeah. whole episode in mind mm-hmm. and I went and, read, wrote, and I wrote it. And then all of a sudden there was like, I read it and I'm like, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. It has no soul, mm. but it's very cool. Uh, and the writer I worked with on that episode, um, 
I went back to him and I said, look, there's something wrong here. Can you pause for a second? Yeah. What does it feel like inside when you detect that something doesn't have soul? Like you're creating a piece of art and you're like this, I don't feel it. Again, not to be like weird, like douchey name this dropping. Is, I actually think this is where creativity comes from. Yeah. So I'm, I'm so curious. It's Kanye yelling at me. Okay. <laughs> is this a real experience that you've yes. had? Okay. Yeah. He once like just called me and just laid into me. This was like a few years ago. Just laid into me. I'm like, and he's like, you, you're not connected with your soul. And he was like explaining to me like the way in which my mind and my soul were like disconnected. Mm. And it was um, uh, almost derailing my, that's not the word he used, but mm. it was almost derailing my creative flow. Interesting. And is and it makes sense that that would happen in episode four, because that's the one where your mind is going, this needs to get here. Yes. I need to draw a line from Bingo. A to B to C. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, well, that doesn't feel. Okay. Exactly. Got it. So, and then I'm like, okay, so the compass says there's something, the, the, the compass, the radar, the mm -hmm. sonar, whatever the word is, the barometer uh, is saying something. It, it, it feels off, but intellectually, it's awesome. Well, before we go too far, because I've asked you so many questions, was there anything else from that meeting with George that like came through? That because you would, we brought that up for a reason other than like he was he was mentioning the um, garden to you. Well, he gave me a lot of confidence in what I was doing mm -hmm. because just because of the 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 language he would use. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I just one example. Yeah. Right? Um, I went to Northwestern. He was also a Northwestern alumni. So we were just kind of talking about our experiences. And obviously he's way older than me. Yeah. So it's, you know, very, very different time periods. But the one thing that, was okay, so the example of language that he used, which was awesome. Hmm. Uh, I'm really into comic books. For whatever reason, I assumed he, he, he really wasn't as big of a comic book nerd as, as, as me. Mm -hmm. Totally wrong. Yeah. Totally wrong. He's like me as an encyclopedia on, on all <laughs> things nerd culture. But we started talking about um, some Justice League comics and he referred to them as the classics. I, I, I can't do it justice because he needs to be saying it, but the yeah. way he said it was he was talking about it in the way that, he, and the way he said classics was the way you would talk about like the Iliad or the Odyssey. <laughs> yeah. Right. But he's talking about the fucking Justice League. Okay. But, but again, this wasn't like a joke. He actually meant it with the same reverence of the mm -hmm. Iliad and the Odyssey. Mm. And I was like, he takes what we do very, very seriously, as do I. Mm -hmm. Right. But, um, I don't know how to say this other than like, I, I had a chip on my shoulder for part of this because it's like, okay, well, you work in dark fantasy and you do like these weird alt fiction things with like kids' cartoons like Power Rangers. Mm -hmm. like, And I'm like, but yeah, what you're doing is cool. Basically, you know, it, it was more of, an, uh, yeah. of an internal shift within within me where I'm like, no, like this is this is real. It's, it's, it's real, right? It may not be like a, a play on Broadway, but it's, mm -hmm. but it's, but it's high art. That seems like the thing that's missing is that it's like, if it's a cartoon and if it's animated, it, it doesn't carry the same cultural or status that high art does. And right. that can make you approach it in a way that isn't 
deeply sincere and connected to like, no, this deserves contact with the deepest part of me. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. And I, and I would get asked by people like, Hey dude, why did you pivot into animation? Mm-hmm. Like, why are you making cartoons now? You used to be doing like real stuff and now mm-hmm. you're doing cartoons. I'm mm-hmm. like, dude, it's just a medium. Mm-hmm. It is literally just a medium. I get to tell a $200 million story. Mm-hmm. Right. But with like not $200 million. Yeah. Um, yeah. it's, 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 for me, animation is a license to go big. Mm-hmm. It's just a medium. It's a tool to tell a really big story. And that conversation with George helped you drop the almost like inferiority complex chip on your shoulder that might have might have gone along with the fact that it wasn't Broadway, it wasn't live action, it wasn't. Yeah, got it. Yeah, yeah. And this was this was this was not just a. It was like a full dinner. Got it. It was like a full like long dinner that went for hours. Mm-hmm. And I was just like absorbing stuff. What put you guys in touch? true story i would love the true story there's a guy who's like now in jail okay <laughs> <laughs> who just connected us yeah and uh then we just met up for dinner okay so this is like a mutual acquaintance it was like you guys should meet yes cool had he seen your stuff yes okay and so he was a fan of your stuff and you were a fan of game of thrones i imagine i mean i i would say i was a bigger fan of okay. him than he was of me <laughs> sure. most likely yeah. right i would i would assume yeah um but yeah, no, he was he was aware, and um, but 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 what was more interesting is he got the ethos of the thing I was doing, right? Mm-hmm. He got this whole like, oh, you're taking the thing and then you're subverting it. Mm-hmm. That's um, yeah. Let's go there because I think uh, for to give people context, because I mean, totally non douchely you have dropped Kanye and George. How the hell did you get here? <laughs> Which I think is an interesting story right. that I only know cursorily. Let's right. say. So, how old are you now? Uh, I'm now 38. So you're 38. And for years, you have been getting access to these IPs. I said it in the kitchen, but I'll repeat it for the audience. The only people I know that have been able to create their own work structure in that way are people that have gone full entrepreneurial, no permission, no studio giving them license at that age. Like Mm -hmm. the other person is Kevin Feige, but he had to work all his year in this or all his life in the studio system to get the chance to take a crack at some of these things. And you've gotten access very quickly. So like going back to your 20s, how did you get in? Including, I know that a lot of it has to do with the sense of bravado and confidence that you just, for whatever reason, had when you walked into some of these rooms. Well, I just assumed that that it would work. Mm-hmm. Well, and what was it? Like you had ideas. What 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 was yeah, like the break so that got you in? It was kind of like, well, I guess that's a different question, right? Yeah, the break that got me in versus this this whole subversion thing. Okay. So I assumed, and I assumed incorrectly, I assumed that everyone wanted to see a hard R version of like everything, mm-hmm. right? So when I first moved to LA, I made a list of every piece of intellectual property that I loved, right? Everything mm-hmm. from fucking G.I. Joe to Voltron to Care Bears mm-hmm. to Captain Crunch, like all of it. Captain Crunch. And it was, I was like, I had an Excel spreadsheet. Okay, what is the thing? Uh, what is the IP? Who owns it? Who owns it, the option? And you... And then you realize really quickly, oh, it's all owned by a handful of corporations, mm-hmm. a very small handful of corporations. So the entirety of culture is owned by a small handful of corporations, right? Mm-hmm. I also assumed that everyone wanted to see a hard R version of all of these mm-hmm. characters, right? So 
hard R where's Waldo. It's like born identity with where's Waldo. Right? He's like dark and he's like hiding. He's like beating people with his cane. Got it. Right? Care Bears. Okay, they're in this real world. They do the Care Bear stare, but like fucking people are like, whoa, they're like an asset. People are trying to steal them and like chain them up and poke them to get the Care to, Bear stare because they're like, you know. Get Care like, Bear stares and hypnotize yeah, people. God. Yeah. The so CIA wants to know I where they are. I assumed that everyone wanted to see this. Uh-huh. Uh, and yeah, so I would just kind of go and pitch this stuff and like no one wanted like to hear it. So when you say so, go and pitch, did you have to do anything special to get access to these people? Or you, you just call them up. Okay. So you just go on, you know, because like, like um, so for instance, what I really wanted to do, my first dream project was, uh, you know, do you know the actor Macaulay Culkin? Of course. Yeah. Do you know the character Richie Rich? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I wanted to do a dark take on Richie Rich. He's now 25, <laughs> right? Macaulay Culkin is playing him again. Uh-huh. Um, he's like, so the cartoon we all watched, the Richie Rich cartoon. So in this universe, his parents made this cartoon to kind of, you know, you know how like like uh, wealthy parents will like dress their kids up in weird costumes and they, that's like a thing that, yeah. that, that happens yeah. in American society and like- Upper East Side of New York, that kind of that kind sure. of thing. Um, so, and, and it's like okay, your last name's Rich. Why the fuck are you naming your kid Richie? Right. Mm-hmm. So he's he's now like this deeply traumatized, like twenty something year old who's like parents have made a mockery out of him. Like he can't go anywhere. He's like super famous. Everywhere he goes, it's like just inauthentic interaction after inauthentic interaction, and everyone's making fun of him. <laughs> So it's like a comeback story of a dude trying to like find himself while he's being perpetually mocked. And so this, like just this, you like to think through intellectual property that you like, what if it were real? Like what, why would somebody name their kid Richie Rich? You're asking questions right. that the first movie does not ask you to ask yes. basically. Right. <laughs> got it. Um, yeah. And then and you, I was like, I, and I, and I developed it for Macaulay Culkin. I mean, I didn't know Macaulay Culkin at mm-hmm. the time. I still don't know Macaulay Culkin. Develop uh, means you started this idea, and are you writing a script? Are you? Yeah, outline okay. script. Got I'm it. like, okay, and then I'm going to get Macaulay Culkin. Because, you know, and at the time, um, The Wrestler had come out, Mickey Warwick, The Wrestler. Mm-hmm. And I literally thought this could be, I wanted this to be his comeback role. Mm-hmm. Macaulay Culkin, I'm like, dude, like, like tonally, it's, I, I don't know the, quite how to describe the, the, the tone of this. I didn't want it to be, like, dark and depressing, but I thought this was the kind of thing where he would get nominated for it. Got it. And so you, so you could give a nuanced, layered. What I'm hearing you course. say is, you, yeah, a tremendous amount of confidence. You're like, this is going to be great yeah. for Macaulay Culkin. This oh, is going to be great for the fans. It's going to be great for the studio. Yeah, so there's I'm going to win an Oscar. He's going to win an Oscar. It. It's going to be fucking sick, dude. And this is this is like yeah, mid twenties confidence that I I. So, it was but, like twenty four. I mean twenty four. Yeah, twenty three. Yeah, got 24. it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So you have um, this idea. You start calling people up. So. Um, I get a meeting with the the rights holder mm-hmm. at the time. Um, it was a conglomerate that owned it. I believe it was called Liberty Media. And if my memory is serving me correctly, it was Liberty Media. I think John Malone owned Liberty Media. Also, you know, at this point, uh, uh, CAA was uh, representing me. So that's a whole different story. Mm-hmm. But um, there was this awesome agent then, and he still works in the business and, and, to date, he's like one of the smartest people I've met in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name's Micah Green. 
right? He was outside the box thinker, innovator. Um, so I called him and I told him this and he's like, dude, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> okay. What do I need to do to fucking help this happen? Right. And I, and I tell him, okay, I've got this meeting and he's like, okay, yeah, cool. We, we CAA does some business with them too. We'll, we'll support. This yeah. is great. This needs to happen. This is the kind of thing that the, the independent movie business needs. Mm-hmm. So I'm super pumped. Right. So I meet this dude and, and again, this was, this was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So I, if my memory serves me correctly, I believe it was John Malone's brother. Okay. If it was actually John Malone who yeah, owned yeah. the company. So it was this dude's brother. Um, and you know the actor Jason Bateman? Yeah. You know when Jason Bateman would play supporting characters and the supporting characters he would play would be like very difficult people who would just be like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not going to do that. Uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. Like it literally felt like I was sitting in front of Jason Bateman. Okay. <laughs> like a like a Jason Bateman character. Like uh and and so the guy's not feeling it. He's not feeling it super dark. He's like, it's too dark. Yeah. Uh what we want to do. And then he told me exactly what they wanted to do. Um I can't believe I don't remember if he told me then or my agent told me, but basically they wanted it, you know, Taylor Lautner was starting to blow up mm-hmm. and they wanted to do like an agent Cody Banks type thing with Taylor Lautner. Okay. Yes. But I don't know what that is, but it sounds kitty, basically. Kitty. Kitty like spy. Yeah. Kitty, kitty spy, you know. So fuck, this is one example. And we've spent so much time talking about this one fucking example. Mm-hmm. But I had ten of these every month. Got it. So, and I think this is, I'm trying to distill the pieces. One is just a, a crazy level of confidence, but it sounds necessary for this. Two is a high level of persistence. Like you're going in and getting just told, no, 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 no. And you're like, that does not deter me from the belief yeah. that this is yes. Yes. legit. Or, yeah, yeah. Or, um, yeah. Or, or, or even if you get like a high level meeting, mm-hmm. you know, I think the move is to, kind of tell the people in the room what they want to hear. Yeah. So what you're supposed to do. So if people ask me advice on how to break in, what I say, and I I did not do this and I don't know how to do this, but I've seen other people do it and it's very successful. So I know this works. You go in, you ask them what they're looking for. What are you looking for? Exactly. They tell you, and then you pitch it to them. Mm -hmm. You pitch back to them the thing that they told you they want. Got it. Yeah. Right? So a couple of years ago, it's like, we're looking for, you know, female-led action flicks that whatever. That smashed the patriarchy. That smashed the patriarchy. Boom. Go. Yes. Okay. Check this out. <laughs> Check so <it> imagine. Out. <laughs> well, and the problem there is, as we said earlier, now you're making a movie that maybe you don't want to make. And like the prize is, because I didn't say that, I don't think you have the best job because you get to make movies and tv shows and that sort of thing i think you have the best job because you get to make your stuff that is what yes. you want to make yes yeah and i have a vision and they let me execute it yeah versus and like you're a director and that's fun right. and like you do you do what marvel studio tells you and like you right. succeed or don't but if it's not even yours at the end of the day yeah got it um yeah so i, I wouldn't do that because i would go into the room and i like i didn't know how to and i, I would, honestly and it, I, this is where i didn't have a lot of confidence because i would leave and be like did i just am i like fucking up like mm-hmm. should i just ask them what they want and then pitch them and i'm like okay next meeting i'm gonna go in i'm gonna ask them what they want and pitch it to them and then i would like forget to do constitutionally it. Didn't i just forget to do it i go <laughs> yeah. in and then they'd be like 
I'd go in and I'd be like, all right, so you have the white rights to uh, Waldo, right? They're mm -hmm. like, yeah. And then I'm like, okay, so imagine it's like super dark. And, and they're like, you can feel the room just fucking deflating. <laughs> and you're like, fuck. Okay, so you get rejected a lot of times. 100% of the time. 100%. 100% of the time. And then, so how do you then find your way in? YouTube. YouTube. Now, that, YouTube. then you go permissionless, which is, yeah. I think, the third piece. Yes. So yeah. I was like, okay. And, um, A rapper who I named earlier mm -hmm. um, explained this to me after the fact. I didn't know what I was doing because I was doing this intuitively, right? It was just, yeah. it was more like, what the hell's wrong with these people? Like, why do they want to make things that are lame? Mm -hmm. Huh. And then I was like, I don't know. Let me just start making stuff and putting it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I'm simplifying the process. It wasn't that simple because I didn't know what YouTube was. Yeah. Like, but you I, knew that you didn't need permission in, in the same way in order to do it. When I first started, I, no, I had no idea. I, no. Thought, I thought you had to be like, I, I didn't know that anyone could start a YouTube channel. Got it. So the, the first short film that we uh, made, like, so for people who are like watching this, I guess, mm -hmm. and don't know me and don't know what I'm talking about, I have a series of fan fiction short films mm -hmm. that are reimaginings, reinterpretations of uh, popular IP. Yeah. And the Pokemon. ones that, I mean, I saw years ago, there was a Punisher one that was like, oh, this is super cool. There's a Power Rangers one that I saw as well. You've got several other different Pokemon. Of, yeah. Uh, there's a hard R Mr. Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> so you make these things. Uh, you're, are, you've gotten like... You had James Vanderbeek in these. Did you know him at the time? How did you get... James? No, he's my best friend. So you had already known him prior to this. Oh, yeah. He's my best friend. Mm -hmm. Got it. Did you and Okay. So that, that I imagine, helped. And you also got the guy who played the Punisher, right? Tom, yeah. Yeah. Tom Janney. Yeah, he played so the Punisher. These, okay. So James, you, you know. How do you get Tom to do this? Because you're able to get, I think, big people to sign on. At the time, now YouTube has Mr. Beast. He does incredible, high production, yeah. multi-million dollar things. You made these 10 years ago. Everything on YouTube was shot off of a potato standing on top of your computer with yep. you in, you know, your closet. And then there were these short films that were made with the actor who played the Punisher. You know, how did yeah. you do that? Because that, I think, was what, in addition to just being well-written and well-produced, it was like, oh, this is not, does not belong on YouTube. Right. So, every single one of those short films came about differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you asked kind of a broad question. I'm going to try to answer it. Yeah. And if I'm if I'm not answering the question you want, just feel yeah, free to I jump in. Yeah, I guess I'm looking but for. I'm trying I'll to get just, like the pieces. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah. I get it. So every short film came together differently. Mm -hmm. The idea for me was I didn't want to keep repeating the same thing over and over again, right? So mm -hmm. after we did the Punisher short film, which was at the end of the day, the Punisher short film was like a like a down the middle HBO, mm -hmm. like old school HBO feeling gritty and dark action thriller, mm -hmm. right? It's effectively the structure of a Western, but then you take the Western elements out and you put it in an urban setting. Mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the short. After that, um, people kept being like, dude, do Daredevil next, man, or do... Um, and it was always like dark and gritty character yeah. 
goes into a bar, starts a fight, mm-hmm. like the same kind of thing. And I'm like, no, that's that's like not cool. So for the next one, I was like, I want to do it in black and white. You know, do it. Uh, and there was this there's this Belgian movie from the 90s called Man Bites Dog. Very, very dark, very fucked up. <laughs> and I wanted to take that movie, uh, Man Bites Dog, and cross-pollinate it with uh, Venom. So then I'm like, okay, so the next one's going to be a complete contrast from the one that came before it. Mm -hmm. And then the third one was like, okay, now it's going to be animated. Mm. Because I want to do like the Ren and Stimpy thing. How are you funding these and getting people to participate? Because these are wildly, like, if you pitch these to a lot of people without conviction, it's like, why why am I going to sign up for a black and white based on a Belgian, you know, how are you funding and getting people to buy into this vision? They cost like, first of all, they each, each one of these costs like, uh, you know, the, the Punisher one, Mm -hmm. um, the, the Venom one, they cost under 10 K each. Oh really? Wow. Yeah. Um, that's, so that's impressive. And that's a, that's a, like I have to acknowledge that If I, how do I say this? So music video and commercial directors mm-hmm. just have access to equipment and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Stuff that becomes like cost prohibitive. Um, and so they were able to bring this in at a, like a significantly low cost. Yeah. I mean, right? when I think of what our videos cost, yeah, it's like not... It's less than 10K, but it's not much less. And yeah. we don't have actors and like the degree but the of actors, editing. But the actors like, are doing it for free. Right? I mean, Tom Jane literally wanted to do this. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, he wanted to do this. Like I, I knew Tom. He's like, hey, pal. <laughs> I don't want to interpret. I don't want to <laughs> imitate Tom Jane, but I can do a good Tom Jane impression. So, but you've, how did you like, th- there's elements here that I, I think are, that seem extraordinary for some people right. that I'm trying to boil down to like the creative process that many people can tap into. Was I it from networking think, in Hollywood? Was I don't it from- think that because, I, I, and I, I, I hear you. Mm-hmm. The problem is when I get down to the, the, the when you boil this down to, it, it's almost like the world I'd made these in doesn't fucking exist anymore. Okay. If that makes sense. Everything's changed so much, right? So there was no business model around the internet back then. Okay. Right? So the internet was this wild west unknown thing. And by the way, when we made... Um, Dirty Laundry, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the Punisher one. Punisher one. Which, by the way, this was as much Tom Jane's thing as it was mine. Okay. Right? It wasn't like, oh, I went, you know. I. So it, it was it was as much Tom. Um, Phil Juanu directed it. Phil was like one of my first men. He ended up being one of my uh, close friends uh, for years. I, and I love Phil Juanu. Mm-hmm. Um, like. Fuck, I lost my train of thought. Because I thought about Phil and then I got... <laughs> well, so what I'll say that Phil. I'm hearing, and you don't necessarily need to pick this up, is that you've... I was asking you how you met these people. You're like, it, it doesn't exist anymore. The internet no, it doesn't was a exist brand new anymore. thing. Because, because there's a business around the internet. Now, now you're saying, oh, Mr. Yeah. Beast, right? Yeah. So now there's like agents who represent... Got it. Influencers. Like the word influencer did not exist. Gatekeepers and people have been asked 40 times to do something like this. And it sounds like at the, the time- The word that, collab. Yeah. Like, like, all, like none of this existed. So it you, was, you it was, innovated a way of producing 
like you innovated a model for producing content that just didn't exist. Like if Tom yeah. Jane were asked today by a new up and comer to do something like this, he might have already been asked a hundred times today versus back then. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. Also back then what we were what we were effectively doing was uh, Rage Against the Machine. Mm-hmm. Right. It was like movie studios and like the, the this small group of movie studios and this small group group of TV networks, they dictate what everyone watches. Mm-hmm. And they're fucking in charge. And it's like, fuck you, dude. Why do you why do you get to program things for the world? Mm-hmm. Right? So this is a vision that it sounds like people can buy into. Yeah. And there's a collective feeling which when you describe this, people are like, oh yeah, I want to be part of It's a of rebellion. That. It was a rebellion against the machine. Mm-hmm. Now that machine doesn't really exist. And the machine is like effectively crumbled, right? The machine's crumbled. It's gone on strike. There's a whole other thing. Like, But the part of it that is still real is like you were setting that you were tapping into a feeling that you had that right. was broadly held. And when you talked about it, people are like, yeah, I want to do that and I'll yes. do it at a discount and I'm going to give it my heart and I'm going to tell yes. my friend about it as yeah, well. Yeah, people thought, yeah, people thought it was cool. Like, um, you know, um, Diamond Dallas Page, for instance, do you know who that is? No. Uh, he's a pro wrestler. Again, very, very close friend of mine. Got it. I, I, I love DDP. If you're a wrestling guy, you know who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the Punisher short, Ron, Ron Perlman is, is yeah. in it, right? He's a, he plays a, a role. Mm-hmm. Um, I originally wanted DDP to be in it. But Tom Jane just called Ron Perlman because they're like this. Mm. And Ron just showed up on set. So there was a, there's, I think this is the thing that is, there's like a, I don't know, a rebellion is one archetype of how to get people to buy into a vision. But there are, when Elon Musk is like, I want to put a rocket into the sky and a man on Mars, he's able to get people to work longer, harder, in shittier circumstances on a random archipelago in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And it sounds like that is an element that is important. It it felt like punk rock. It felt cool. Like Mm -hmm. we were doing this, this cool thing. And again, it wasn't, YouTube wasn't cheesy. Yeah, got it. There's like a cheese factor now to YouTube. You're like, Mm. Uh, you know, there's a like, and, and again, not everyone. I, I think you're dope, mm-hmm. right? But there is a kind of a corniness to, to like, hey guys, smash that subscribe button yeah. and click like. It's like, yeah. shut the fuck up, dude. Got it. So like, 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 you know what I mean? No, the adults wanted to be part of this. Is what I'm hearing. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and um, yeah, yeah. It was, it was. I, and I, like, I'm struggling to talk about it because I also feel a little sad. I'm like, fuck, that was so cool back then. It was just, <laughs> it was just like this cool thing that that um, that uh, it felt like we were we were all doing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just me, right? It was all the the filmmakers I collaborated with, all the actors. So I called James up Vanderbeek, and mm-hmm. I asked him. I was like, hey, dude, do you want to be in um, the Venom one? Because mm-hmm. there's a there's a scene in the end credits with me and I play a rival documentary filmmaker who's making a bullseye movie. Bullseye is the daredevil villain. And Derek Mears ended up playing Derek, Derek Mears, uh, play Swamp Thing, plays Jason. He ends up playing bullseye, but I originally called James Vanderbeek to play bullseye. And he's like, um, I can't remember what show he was shooting. I think it was don't trust the bee in apartment 23. So he wasn't, wasn't available that day, but he's like, dude, I, I would love to do another one. The next one you do. Mm-hmm. And then Power Rangers. Yeah. And then, then we were just like randomly out to dinner one night and he's like, Hey, I want to, you know, let, let's do one. Let's do a Mortal Kombat one. I was like, no, nah, dude, 
I'm doing a Power Rangers one. You should mm-hmm. definitely do the Power Rangers one. Mm-hmm. He's like, really? Power Rangers? I'm like, bro, I know everything there is to know about Power Rangers. It's <laughs> going to be sick. And he's like, okay. Hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, the I hear again, the conviction that you are carrying through all of this is kind of like the way that a party gets started it's like no no it's gonna be sick everyone's gonna be there it's gonna be fucking rad yeah <laughs> but i think also the other piece of this is if i don't believe it's going to be dope, yeah it can't other be. people then know that you don't believe and that so i don't believe it's going to be authentic dope. so it just belief. doesn't work yeah because i start you know i'll be like hey man do you want to do it? and they're like no i'm like oh got it right. and so and so to make a correct me if i'm wrong if there are other elements of this that i'm not understanding but then you have this, people start to see this. Are, are you then still going outbound to the Netflixes and everyone, or does inbound start to come and be like, inbound? got it. So now that you've gone permissionless, created this thing that people didn't think that would work, that did work, that they feel, mm-hmm. now people are like, can you do that with our IP? Can you do that with this thing? Yeah. Got it. And then you're off to the races. Yes. But okay. there was, you know, it, it, but it wasn't as fluid as that. Mm-hmm. Because it then becomes like, it then became, yeah, come in for a meeting. Can you do that with RIP? I'm mm-hmm. Like, okay, cool. So this is how I see it. And then they're like, okay, but why don't you do this? And then mm. I'm like, but this shit again? No. Um, There's a steadfastness that, I'm, that I think is important because it, it's very, when you talk about businesses and startups, it's like if it doesn't work with the customer, you have to pivot. And what I'm hearing is that you didn't do that. There was a, conviction to a particular um aesthetic that you're like no that's not cool i don't want to do something that isn't cool and if i don't i'm not going to even if you give me an opportunity that ostensibly looks really nice i mean you're saying it in a way that implies a lot more confidence that i actually had Mm -hmm. at the time because i just walk away and be like oh my god i fucked up up so bad well something in you i think you know it's funny i'm reading this book on um you heard of the daemon and the idea of the daemon or the genius in, in Rome, the genius, they believed, unlike today where genius is like a capacity of the intellect, it was sort of like a guardian that came with you mm-hmm. and it expressed yeah. itself through you. And the Greeks called it the daemon. Sure. And it was like this thing that takes over. And, and sometimes you're like, what the fuck did I just do? Well, oh, yeah. Why did I all, do that? Bro, all the time. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Mm-hmm. And the idea that they had is like, this is some creatively connected part of you that doesn't suffer bullshit. And like- and it can feel even Laserhawk, mm-hmm. even Captain Laserhawk. Now we're jumping in the timeline sure. here, right? So after Castlevania dropped, and it was like this hit that no one fucking saw coming. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw it coming because mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I, at this point, I'm like in this world, right? Like, yeah. I, I, I know <sighs> the the move would have been to then go to every game company and be like, I, you know, be like Kevin, again, this isn't a diss against Kevin Feige, but like do the thing where you're like, this is the blueprint that I've developed. Mm -hmm. I will do the exact same thing for you. And then go back to Netflix and be like, all right, so I have these 20, this portfolio of intellectual Mm -hmm. property. We're going to execute it all exactly like this. And it's just, it becomes like a factory. Mm. And honestly, I like wanted to do that for a second, um, but the film, the, the, like uh, the filmmaker that directed the the Power Rangers uh, short film, this guy uh, Joseph Kahn, right? Mm-hmm. 
like right after uh, <laughs> Castlevania blew up, we were out to dinner. Um, actually, with, with my, my parents were in town, so the four of us were out to dinner. Um, and I was like telling him this whole thing. And he looks at me and he's like, so you want to be Haim Saban? I don't even know what that means. I took that as like that that to me was like the deepest insult. So Haim Saban's the guy who created Power Rangers. Okay. Created it. Got right. It. But really what he did was he bought footage from uh a, like a um a Japanese TV show called Super Sentai. And then he filmed when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. American actors mm-hmm. in the high school and then he crosses it together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's milked this formula. He just keeps uh, pumping these things yeah. out, right? He's lording over the Power Rangers IP then he sold yeah. it to Disney. Yeah. Then it tanked. He bought it back. And then, um, and then, uh, and now he sold it to Hasbro, right? Mm-hmm. He wasn't happy with the, with the Power Rangers short week. But uh, until, until, until he was, and it, was yeah. it was weird. And I'd actually been to his house before in a different context this dude is like extremely wealthy mm-hmm. extremely wealthy right um but there was something within me like deep within me on a fucking soul level to have another artist look me in the eye and say you're going to be Haim Saban that I went oh, oh fuck no fuck no and I immediately torched all of those plans to have this portfolio of like game IP and be like what you know and then I was like, okay, I'm, I'm doing the, the same thing that we fucking did before where, you know, you do the, the, the Punisher one, which is down the middle, and then you pivot and you do other extreme yeah. uh, black and white uh, mock documentary with Venom. Um, Meaning you, go, you give them what they want down the middle and then you go left field. No, so then the, the next one was Captain Laserock. So yeah. then Captain Laserock, it's, it's not that. It's not, you know, because, you know, it could have just been, Now we're doing a, a Splinter Cell espionage show. Got it. Right? Just down the middle, what yeah, you, people expect. It feels like you have a problem with meeting expectations yes. or doing the obvious. Yes. Uh huh. It's like there's a part of me that wants to, mm-hmm. and then I start. You know, I because I, there could be a great Splinter Cell espionage like that. Somebody oh, should do ab- that. Someone should fucking do that. Yeah. I see the pot at the gold of. I see the pot of, of yeah. gold at the end of the rainbow where I fucking do that. Mm-hmm. But there's something that just starts fucking freaking out mm. and then something wild comes out mm-hmm. that is in a different direction. And I'm saying this with a lot more conviction and confidence in mm. this in this setting. Yeah. It's not always like that, right? Because I'm like walking around I'm like, dude, I totally fucked up. I yeah. totally fucked up. I should have just fucking done the normal thing. Yeah, yeah. Why didn't I do the fucking normal thing? Yeah. Well, because again, yeah, if you if you have access to Ubisoft, and I'm not saying that you should have, and you make Splinter Cell, and you get a person to do it, and it's an espionage, just people are going to click because they've played Splinter Cell and want Splinter Cell again. That's that's what they want. They right. want more, and 
deeper of the, what the, they already yeah, enjoyed. They, uh, you know, do the obvious thing. Yeah. Do seven of the obvious thing. I feel the same way, by the way, Have when it comes to our videos. Have an army of people doing the <laughs> obvious thing at nauseum. Yeah. Right? Like, to the point where, I, I mean, I could even distill it down into, like, a plot structure. Mm-hmm. Like, so in the first episode, we establish the villain. We give him a strong motivation at mm-hmm. the end of the first episode. Mm-hmm. We, I could literally create a fucking Bible, dude, mm-hmm. that I could hand to people and say, this is how you replicate this. Because I can... I can one of the things that I'm really good at is uh, deconstructing something down to its core elements mm-hmm. and ex- right and explaining why it's connecting and why it's working. Mm-hmm. And so like, maybe I should have done that. Just been like, and here's a document on what it has to look like. And this <laughs> is what art style they will all have. And this is, but then there's, there's like this creative part of me that like, yeah. is like, you are being a bitch. I feel the same, by the way, the same thing. So like it's, it's at a different level cause they're one week long projects, but right. it's, they liked that actor that I did on game of Thrones. I know that if I do the other game and I have, and I only have a tolerance for so many sequels right. before I'm like, I hate this now. And I have to go do something increasingly different. And for me, it, it got to be like, I am not doing enough different yeah. and the sequels work. And by the way, some of the sequels have earned a lot of money done really well but i do think that if you do too many sequels you debase the bedrock of the creative juice that One keeps the thing going thousand percent yeah the thing that what that i that i find it, it's to me it's more funny i i find it amusing i actually find it amusing mm-hmm. um because i was on social media like super early right this is as, as you pointed out all of this was to 2012 when no one yeah. was was doing this kind of stuff and I'd talk about, hey, you know, the internet, the social social media, this is a thing that's going to blow up. And everyone's like, no, 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 this is, <laughs> this is bullshit. This is bullshit. It's all about the theatrical experience. I'm like, okay. Now, uh, it's kind of swung so hard the other direction mm. where people are like coming up to me, like just random people, like, the, like I'm at the coffee shop. Someone's like, hey, you need to really work on your social media presence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like... Um, and I'm like, no, I don't. Social media does not matter. Now it you're like, I want to do cinema now. <laughs> I know I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, social media is like so uncool. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter because of what you're saying, right? It, it values pumping out the same, it values mm-hmm. endless sequels, but the, or I rewards, think rewards in the short term. I yeah. think this is the thing that probably movie executives you know i felt this particularly where i first saw it in my life was with x-men first class yeah that didn't perform well yes but i felt that it didn't perform well because the whatever x-men came before which was the wolverine like repetitive audience had been burnt out exactly they're like this is bullshit no one cares but first class was excellent and that paid back later when they did Days of Future Past. Absolutely. And they look at these these vid, these movies and they go, well, First Class was a dud and Days of Future Past was good and Wolverine was pretty good. It's like, no, you've got it totally wrong. Yeah. You're not viewing the causality correctly. Yes. And it's, and yeah, Days of Future Past and this is the same thing that you're describing, which is when you're just churning out sequels and you go, what was the last video that did well? How do I do the same thing but slightly different? Right. You will do well tomorrow. But- in a week or a year or whatever the next iteration of time is, you'll go, why isn't it working? And you'll be chasing your own tail, unable to figure it out. And I think this is something that uh, 
I, I feel deeply and I don't think that a lot of people connect with. No, no, because, because it's almost like uh, uh, hamsters on a wheel. Mm-hmm. And it's, right. it's, it's this overconnection to the audience. We want more of that. We want more right. of that until they're like, we hate you for giving us. No, totally. <laughs> I mean, like, dude, it, it, it's kind of like if you're in an ecosystem that values views, because mm-hmm. that's really what you're saying. That's what I'm hearing you say, mm-hmm. right? Like days of future past was the payoff for a risk that first class took. Yes. Right. So if you're in a culture that really values views like the like the like this whole YouTube thing mm-hmm. that, that the, the game that you're in you are able to divorce yourself from that and go look dude I want to be fucking creatively fulfilled so I'm going to take some not even risks I'm just going to express myself mm-hmm. and I'm not doing this for you I'm doing this for me right it feels to me and again, I'm not really in this world. I mean, so it's so just kind of I'm almost like an outside observer. Mm-hmm. It feels to me that a lot of internet content creators are not really entrepreneurs. They're slaves to the viewers. algorithm. Yeah. The, they're, they're slaves to an algorithm that's fickle and they're slaves to an audience that almost looks at them as like a piece of cattle who's going to, Mm-hmm. hit the same thing over and over again, right? And I think important to say, there is a way to make money. This is the analogous to the director that comes in and says, what do you want? I'll give it to you. What do you want? Right. I'll give it to you. And right. you can then, you can make money and you can spend your whole career trying to guess what some audience or studio executive or algorithm wants. It's a very stressful existence Absolutely. to do it that way. And you can make a lot of money. You can you can do it. Right, but I, I think the, the other trade-off for me that's very confusing is the amount of eyeballs you would get on YouTube versus the amount of like uh, money you're getting back for those eyeballs, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't seem fair. To who? To the creators. Mm. Yeah. Because you're, 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 you're being paid pennies on the dollar for your reach. I think the thing that I realize that uh, creators don't is that eyeballs, like they... There's only a metric for eyeballs and then AdSense. But what is not there that you need to feel is there's a balance sheet of like audience goodwill and love and trust. And that is not all created the same. And I feel like first class changed the balance sheet for the X-Men. It's like you have love and trust and it didn't pay you back today, but it's there. And the same thing on YouTube, which is like, yeah, this only got 10,000 or 100,000 or whatever amount of views isn't significant to you. But it's like the it had so much heart that the people that loved it, and I've experienced this, I did a video on my on a breakup that I had. It got fewer views than others, but every time that someone approaches me in the street, they go, you're the guy that did that, dude, that video impacted me so hard. I said the same thing to you. Yeah. It was a breakup video. Yeah. Every time. Every time. Yeah. And it's, when people then buy my course for $600, it's easy to think that it's because of my 10 million view video, which is the one that converted the final piece of the sale. Mm-hmm. That's my days of future past, though. <laughs> the one that like built it, and I think this is tough for people to recognize. It, it's the other stuff. It's the first classes. It's the breakup video. Totally. It's the it's the stuff that comes from honest, creative bedrock. I think. So, I agree with everything you said. Mm-hmm. The way I see you as an as an artist, and the way I see your YouTube channel, 
I don't look at your YouTube channel as like a business, even though it makes you money and even though mm -hmm. you have a course and yada, yada, right? I look at you as a guy who's soul searching and trying to find himself and get to know himself deeper. Mm -hmm. And your YouTube channel is an expression of that. I think when I lose the best and healthiest way for me to love the YouTube channel, which I haven't yeah. been very involved in, right. um, is when I go, this is a diary. And like, and I, and I can write my diary in a way that is more understandable to right. other people and not just use my own shorthand. Mm -hmm. But that's when it's best is when it is me sharing what I am learning about myself and the world. And I'm honest about what works. And I put some thought into what's the way to present this that an audience can access to a degree. Yes. So it's not super obtuse to people sure. and, and totally, you know, uh, sure. impossible to get. But yeah, I think that's, that's the other analogy. I have a hundred of these that I've been thinking about is like, I think business people, it's kind of like a rocket ship and they measure altitude and they're only familiar. Like it's going well when the altitude is getting higher and higher yeah, and yeah, higher. Yeah. The thing that makes it go high is the fuel. And at the bottom, there's a ton of fuel burning. Good shit is happening, but it is not getting off. It's not mm -hmm. getting off the ground. Yeah. And at the top, the fuel cuts out and it still goes. Right. <laughs> and that's where like the MCU is right now for me. It's like, there's no fuel in that thing anymore. Mm -hmm. It's going to continue to go for a while and it's going to go up and up and up and then it'll go down. It'll go, what's happening? It's like, you stopped burning the creative juices years ago. And that was where you were doomed. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that people, business people don't get that. Yes. Yes, Absolutely. Because it's it's a it's a short term view on business. Mm -hmm. I feel like you know if you go back decades ago, business people had a very like long term. You know they they felt like they were custodians of something. Mm -hmm. Versus now it's like it's, it's the tech mentality, right? We're gonna we're gonna make something out of nothing. It's not gonna fully work, <laughs> and we're gonna drop it. And we're gonna say it's gonna change the world, and it will, but it'll create just as many problems. And then we'll cash out. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm going on this like negative rant against no, no, no. YouTube and like the thing. No, the, the reason I was being super like kind of aggro about um, the whole like creator economy is I feel for the younger people. It's just about the young. It's about it's it's about the kids that are being sold this dream that I don't think will exist when they when they get there. What is not going to exist? When what is the dream? The creator economy. That you can make content and make a living. Yes. You think that there will be fewer people? Yes. Okay. Yes. Why? I think I think the economics of it are dicey. Mm -hmm. I think this is sold as a thing or it's presented as a thing that's like a great an entrepreneurial endeavor entrepreneurial endeavor. Mm -hmm. Right? But I think if you're a content creator today breaking in. I would not try to be an entrepreneur. I would try to be an intrapreneur. And define the difference for me. So instead of going and starting your own YouTube channel mm -hmm. and trying to build a business around that, I would go, no, 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 I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm an intrapreneur. What I'll do is I'm going to go find Charlie mm -hmm. and help him grow his business. And you, right? because you think there will, like, there will be a consolidation of there will be fewer total people that are able to make livings off of their yeah. following. I, I think, I think there's like an economies of scale thing that needs mm -hmm. to happen in order for the machine to work, right? You have to have a 
you need to have a certain like volume of output. Because mm-hmm. like, 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 I mean, dude, I, you're the expert here. I'm literally just making shit up. So I don't know what the <laughs> fuck I'm talking about. Like, you know, Netflix shows, I know what I'm talking about. Got it. I'm talking to the expert. I'm like being a douchebag. I'm like <laughs> telling you how it goes. But from my understanding, from my, again, from my uh, 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 POV. Yeah. You need consistency. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Right? You need a format. Yes. And I think innovating in format is, it's almost necessary. Right. So you need consistency, you need to format. Um, and, and consistency doesn't mean like one video every six months. No, it means it, like one a week at least. Right. Yeah. So you need scale. Mm-hmm. And in order to achieve the scale, you need a team. You, you, need, you need like people and you need a dedicated team. I don't think you need a team. That, that's where I team? disagree. No, I think that there's a number of ways to break in. You need some X factor and it can be a team. It's like you can have incredible post-production stuff and that can be your thing. You can also be incredibly engaging and like Andrew Tate didn't need a team. He could have sat there on camera just be like, oh, here's what it's going to be. You know, like he could have done that and he would have drawn people to him. I'm not saying I'm not casting any moral value on that, but are you a, are you a fan of Andrew Tate? No, not Charlie? particularly. <laughs> Do you want to be the next top G? Charlie? I am the top G. I've been working on my Andrew Tate impression over here for a long time. <laughs> oh, but I, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Like he, he would have, um, essentially gone viral with a potato camera on with top a, of this thing a, because the, of his charisma and the topic. And so I do think I, you don't need a team. That is one way to do it, though, in my opinion. Okay. You need you need excellence Counter- in, in some area. Sure. But counterpoint to that. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. Andrew Tate was a world champion kickboxer. kickboxer. Yeah. That's a real thing? Oh, yeah. Was? Okay. Even he was rich. Yeah. He had millions so, of dollars. Right. Okay. So... So he didn't break out on YouTube. You need to live. That's right. yeah, 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 yeah. Like oh, oh. So if you're like a 19 year old has done nothing, right? Yeah, you need to go live. That's what I'm talking okay. about. I'm concerned about those kids because they literally like if you're a 19 year old mm-hmm. and you're like, dude, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna become a YouTuber and then I'm gonna become an influencer and then I'm gonna get brand deals. No one is sitting them down mm-hmm. and going, dude. Like, this is how many millions of followers you need to have. And this is the level of engagement you need to have in order to get a brand deal. And by the way, this is how much the brand deal will fucking get you, Mm -hmm. right? By the way, if you're a plumber, this is how much being a plumber (laughs) pays. Yeah, yeah. And this is how many hours you have to work to get paid this much as a plumber. And then, you know what I mean? Like I hear you. That, hear you. That's, what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Totally. I agree with that. That the, the number of kids that have very little to say and are like, I'll play video games or talk about my day right. that think they're going to hit it is just, no, you need to... It's staggering. Yes. It's staggering. And the social media companies, I think, are doing them a fucking disservice, right? Because they're getting free content. Mm-hmm. They're getting because one content. in every hundred thousand is going to succeed, right. and so it's like, what do we care? We'll right. take a hundred thousand exactly. applicants for this job right. that we don't pay you for. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is just another like dark dystopian thing that they're doing, and I'm Got like, it. yo, like, and this is why I'm like adamantly saying, like, okay, I can tell you my story of how what I did, I did X, Y, Z, and then it mm-hmm. blew up in the thing, but it's like, don't emulate it because mm-hmm. it's not going to work. Got it. It worked for me. That doesn't mean that this is like some sort of blueprint for success. 
The things that I tried to distill, I would defend as a bit more timeless though, which is deep, deep creative conviction. 100%. You know, like the things, and I highlighted them, I won't repeat them all here, but that those, and yeah, don't, it's not the answer for you today, kid, is not right. do a YouTube bootleg like Addy did. Yeah. It's, but there are principles that you followed that there I think- There are principles, yes. Yeah. It's, it's almost like the preface in the book needs mm-hmm. to be, look, it's very fucking hard. It's very competitive. Mm-hmm. And yada yada yada, and all the all the fucking warnings and the warning label and this and that. You know, it's like mm-hmm. smoking will give you cancer. But if you're still fucking invested, then listen to everything Charlie just said Got it. about finding your uh, your voice. So let's pause. Well, can we can we even talk meaningfully about how to find one's voice? Yeah. Oh yeah. We, can we? Yes. Okay, help me that because I'm actually working on this yes. still, and I feel like it is a continual process of removing layers yes um but for for you it started with emulation Mm -hmm. right because you're like oh man i don't feel cool i don't know how to talk to people i feel awkward in social situations Mm -hmm. right but you have this like pattern recognition thing going on yeah so then you're like okay so who's cool tom cruise is cool he goes like this and like like this this. and he like touches (laughs) you he like touches you all right cool and you're breaking it down right Which, which is emulation. Mm-hmm. That's no different than a writer being like, okay, I want to write um, a gangster movie or a space movie, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, Care Bears movie with guns. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really like the, the dialogue in Pulp Fiction. Who wrote that? Quentin Tarantino. Oh, okay. What else did he write? Oh, uh, Django and Chain. Okay, cool. And then, oh, okay. And then, and then you emulate Tarantino. And you're learning. You're picking up things similar to you, like you did with movies, and I did with social interactions. Or oh, there's these repetitive things that I can right. find analytically, and I yes. can combine them yes. together. And if you look at mo- like any great artist, not mm-hmm. any. I mean, there there are you know some people that are like at the age of three picked up Mozart. a violin and, went, yeah. nah, 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 and everyone was like, whoa. And then the King sent a fucking carriage <laughs> for them and yeah. they were abducted and then thrown in a cell and never heard from again. Yeah. Cause you know, the King's nephew was actually the best violinist. <laughs> um, but, um, was I going with that before I No, that, that, so that there are people that just have their voice and a, and a prodigious talent at a young age, but for a lot of people it starts with emulation. Yeah. Um, I, I, I believe that for pretty much everyone, it starts with mm-hmm. emulation because the, the prodigious voice thing, because mm-hmm. you look at like M. Night Shyamalan, for instance, mm-hmm. do, you, do you know who M. Night yeah, Shyamalan of course. is? So he did uh, his first movie was kind of went nowhere. Then his second movie, which really people look at as, as his first movie the was six, The Sixth Sense. I didn't know he had one before that. Yeah. Uh, it didn't work. And he also yeah. wrote, he wrote Stuart Little, I think Stuart Little one or two. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So he, he had odd jobs. He was floating mm-hmm. around. But uh, Sixth Sense really yeah. blows up uh, as a writer, director, right? I don't think he knew what he was doing when he did Sixth Sense. In what regard? Well, he talks about it. It was it was more intuitive than it was based on craft. Mm-hmm. He was emulating Hitchcock. Okay. He was emulating the the masters of old. Mm-hmm. You know, part Hitchcock, part part this, part that, and kind of mixing it, and then it connects, mm-hmm. right? And 
then then he spent the next like decade of his life trying to recapture the magic yeah but it's like you know and then he got better and better at the craft of it mm-hmm and I feel like that's the journey of well, most how you, artists. How do you view Shyamalan? Because as a non-film like film buff, yeah. he's like iconic film to yeah. start it off. I thought that was his first. Unbreakable, solid, good. And then it, it's almost like a steady downhill, at least in... in but also the weight of expectations, right? Mm-hmm. At that time, it was he was getting bigger and bigger budgets. So it's like, how do you, you know, how society measured success of a movie was like, like deeply interconnected with uh, box office, which is fucking mm-hmm. weird, mm-hmm. right? It's I I think what kind of maybe paralyzed him. I I, I don't know the guy, sure. uh, but was the fact that The Sixth Sense was one of the best movies of the year in 1999. Mm-hmm. It was financially successful. It was critically acclaimed. It was it it it, it hit every benchmark. Mm-hmm. Um. I feel like everything he did after that was successful had they come first. Got it. Right? If Got Lady it. in the Water was his first movie, you'd be like, oh, this is a great film from this mm-hmm. up-and-coming director, right? Got it. Had Sixth Sense been his fifth movie or his sixth movie, not his Got it. first movie. You'd, yeah, you'd, it, would be, it works way better as his magnum opus. <laughs> right. The, 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 the story works better. Yeah. Right? But, you know, I, I feel like part of, you know, all... all great artists in my experience because I haven't really met a prodigy mm-hmm. other than myself. <laughs> um, I got you. I got you. <laughs> um, you know, all, um, all great storytellers that I've met, you know, you start with some form of emulation. There's something you're emulating somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's your voice, whether it's your tone, because how, how could you not? It's not like you just kind of appeared on this planet. Like you came in like- Yeah, you're speaking English. You're or speaking you, English. Yeah, you, you, copied some, you copied the language. Right. You, yeah. you, you like certain films over other films, mm-hmm. right? Um, um, and so what is the stage after emulation? And how, is, is it literally just emulation and then the stripping away of the pieces that don't feel- then it becomes deconstruction. And mm-hmm. then I think eventually you, you reach a, 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 like a nexus point. Mm-hmm. which is like the um what's that albert einstein quote where he's like true genius is knowing how to hide your sources hmm. yeah right mm-hmm. true genius is knowing how to hide your sources mm-hmm. got it eventually you get to the point where you have such a deep reservoir of knowledge of all the things you're emulating mm-hmm. that you can uh remix them reinterpret them paint them in a way that like it now looks nothing like the original Mm -hmm. i've also found that and and i've heard people say this and i'm starting to feel it uh breath work actually helps just even like for writing ideas but there's the old cliche of you learn all the rules Mm -hmm. and then you get the confidence to drop them okay so and that so creatively here's what i think Mm -hmm. here's what i've experienced the the Mm -hmm. confidence to drop them looks Mm -hmm. like eventually you develop a point of view. Mm-hmm. And this is why the the young prodigy thing, I think is bullshit. Because mm-hmm. eventually you develop a point of view. And that point of view comes from failure, heartbreak, success. Life. 
life. Yeah. Like clinching failure and the jaws of victory, right? Mm -hmm. Like all like just, just fucking up. Yeah. Growing, evolving, all the things you're doing. Mm -hmm. You find, you, you, you develop a point of view. And then when you're, then when you go back and you start telling the story, and you're like, okay, well, I can't just tell the story now. I have to infuse it with my point of view, with these, with these, these, uh, this, this wisdom that I've developed. I, um, but here's the, here's the catch. Okay. Here's the fucking catch. Here's where a lot of people fuck up. They're being psyoped. So what they think is their voice is not. Yeah. They're, they've been sold a propaganda narrative. Mm-hmm. And they're running around writing and their uh, voices down with the patriarchy or their voices. Yeah. 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 Or, Hey, you know, I, I, I check all the boxes of this one movement. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to make a thing, you know, about, yeah. about, about that or, or, or whatever it is on, on, on every permutation of this. Yep. Yeah. It's like the social thing du jour is now I was listening to, um, the witch trials of JK Rowling. Did you hear that podcast? It just has, it talked about her creative process and I believe it was, she, you know, was being abused by her husband and I think her mom died and like after the first or second Harry Potter and then it formed the dark turn that Harry Potter took. And it's like, there was no way for me to write this as this, you know, fanciful, fun wizard world. There had to be pain and loss in it. And I think that is different than there was something on the news that I saw that, you know, 100%. which is like, no, like I know grief now. I know like that, that it's coming through me in a way that, that yeah. uh, it would be dishonest 100%. to resist. 1000%. Yeah. That's exactly it. Mm-hmm. Right. Great art peers into someone's soul. Mm-hmm. Not interested in the, in, 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 in like a lecture from the news. And it's We're almost interested yeah. in a human being leaving an imprint. And I do think it's an avoidance. It can like I, I remember some of the stuff that I wrote younger because I just hadn't lived right. <laughs> very much, and I so deeply like I was desperate. I, I remember Kurt Cobain; he was in such pain. I was so jealous of him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that guy killed Pain's himself. Fucking cool, dude. He was, like, oh my god! And I just so deeply wanted. You're like, dude, you're such a big rock star. <laughs> yeah, but it's all pain, bro. <laughs> I wanted that level of angst, and that's why we look at like some teenage stuff, and it's like you know, it's angsty, and it's this, yeah. but it's. It's almost grabbing onto the depth of feeling that they see in adults <laughs> lost stuff and yeah. infusing it into their girlfriend that doesn't right. want to talk to them that day. And For it's sure. why we look back at it, you know, it's why, fun. It's why it's, the CW works, yeah. right? You take really complex yeah. uh, adult emotions mm-hmm. and then you strip it down into like one note and you're like, yeah. I want to love you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I can't. Yes. Yes. They're all like, and and it's sincere at that age. Like that's that's probably the, one of the only ways you can create art at that age is uh, maudlin and all that kind of uh, one note stuff because you haven't lived. Well, well no, but that, but that stuff's made by adults. Uh-huh. So I'm judging the adults who, who are making it. Got it. I'm not a ju- judging the consumer. The, and the consumer is it's resonating with the consumer because it's like this is so true to my experience. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the adults who are making it perhaps are not being true to their experience. It's maybe. I don't know. Mm. I, I, maybe I'm being a little douchey too. Because I mean, look, there's a there, there's there's a version where you're like also knowing. There's a balance between understanding the audience you're writing it for mm-hmm. versus being a slave to them. Got it. Got it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like knowing your audience is at the end of the day. I think it's really important. Right. Like I I know that 
like in Laserhawk, for instance, mm-hmm. I, I, I know that, um, fuck, I don't want to go into spo- well, fuck it. I'll go into spoiler territory. Like I, I, I know some of the emotional reactions the audience is going to have because I know the audience because I am the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can play with that. Mm-hmm. You can play with expectations and, and whatnot. So it's, it's knowing the audience versus being like a slave to them. Yeah. Right. And, and I, I it, and I feel like people in your um, ecosystem, the, mm-hmm. the content, the internet content creator ecosystem um, get kind of a harsh dose of this. Cause there's like comments. Yeah. Right. And the, I think the comments can be traumatizing. Yeah. Is yeah. That, is that fair? Oh, I think, I think for a lot of people, they, they dictate their emotional state over the course of the day or the week or the whatever. And I, the way that I've been thinking about it lately and it's evolving is it's not my vision or the audience, but it is a question of which is at the center. And if, if you lose track of your vision in order to please the comments or in order to please the audience, it's why are, we do, why are you doing this in the first place? Like this can be a business, but this isn't, you're losing contact with art, I think at that yeah. point, because it needs to come from you versus if you're like let me figure out what the audience most deeply wants and i'll add a thin veneer of me on top yeah that's you can do that and you can make money doing that but you just be honest with yourself and it's probably not going to be very creatively fulfilling right. to do it that way it, it, it's almost like there's an alchemy process between all of this mm-hmm. and if you lean too heavily into uh one aspect over the other right because mm-hmm. on the other extreme of everything that i'm saying because i because on some level i'm thinking back to everything i said and it almost mm-hmm. sounds like make it for like i'm saying make it for you man fuck the audience but there are so many um filmmakers that i know that are massively talented mm-hmm. uh, i'm talking like cinema guys yeah massively talented that don't have thriving careers because of this exact thing that you un- intuitively understand as a YouTube creator, mm-hmm. which is I also have to please an audience. Mm-hmm. I have to make it for an audience. If I'm just making it for me and I'm not thinking about the audience, mm-hmm. I will not have a job. Yeah. Right. Um, Cause yeah, like I literally <laughs> sat down with a filmmaker like four months ago mm. who I was like, okay, so this movie, and I was explaining to him that this movie, you're effectively making it for the critics, right? Because mm-hmm. it's a specific genre. It's like really highbrow. It's it's the kind of thing that you got to get the critics on board. And then they'll... Then maybe you get an Oscar and they... And, <laughs> they, and, and then and then the audience shows up, yeah. right? This is the, the, he, He's trying to make the kind of movie... He's trying to make the kind of movie that no one will watch if it has bad reviews. Got it. Right? You know, there's certain movies yep. that if... Okay, it's like a period piece and it has bad reviews like fucking no one's watching that shit mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. a period piece drama with colin firth <laughs> i was no gonna say one, banshees of insurance is right. what i was gonna say yeah yeah that movie without you <laughs> know martin McDon- yeah. without reviews you're fucked yeah and i told him that and he's like no man i'm making it for myself and i went dude you are so fucked and you don't even know it mm-hmm. you are so you're making it for yourself you are so fucked and you don't even know it mm-hmm. and only if you want commercial success if what you want is creative expression Great, and I think and I think there's a way to get both. It's like I feel like the way to get both is through the balance of the two. Of course, and I'm almost contradicting everything I was saying earlier. And but because because it's kind of like being uh, imagine you're a playwright. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're not writing it for the audience, but you want the audience to feel something, mm-hmm. right? It's almost like 
I feel something. I, I understand this inner truth. And I want to share that inner truth mm-hmm. with the audience. And I want them to feel something. Yeah. If they're not feeling it, but you're feeling it, what the fuck, dude? That's like the tree falling in the fucking thing and no one heard it, right? It's It reminds me of a relationship. Right. Which is like... Exactly. Look, if I'm going to feel good about this, right. I'm really great with how things are going and you're miserable. It's like, I should just have stayed home alone and yeah. felt really good by myself. You're not in a relationship yeah. mm-hmm. at that point, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're in a, you're in something else. Yeah. And which is fine. Just go be by yourself. It's, it's got to <laughs> like, at the end of the day, the way I look at art is it's got to vibrate and resonate. Mm-hmm. And if you fall into the trap of it, it's got, it's got to vibrate and resonate with everybody. That's a trap. Yeah. But the also the other side of that, like the duality of that is it only has to resonate and vibrate with me. Yes. And it does, it does have to vibrate it with does. you. And there's a way to find things that vibrate with you that can connect with some portion of the market or the 100%, audience. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it, it's all a balancing act. And I think how, how does someone get into this balancing act? Well- I think one way you could do it is exist in all the extremes, mm-hmm. right? Just make your own thing and feel how that feels right. and then go hardcore into like the most pandery. Yeah. Like, like, like smash that subscribe button. Like you go from like, hey, fuck you, hey, I'm an artiste. And then you go to like to the other <laughs> side. You're like, hey guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I did when I was in my corporate job. It was like, there's none of me in here. It's like right. I'm doing Excel spreadsheets. I, I, I'm familiar with... It's like you become a fucking Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> so good to see you. Is that, I'm just so happy to be here. Is that herringbone? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like some people exist in the extremes until you find the, the, the center. Mm-hmm. But Or some people just intuitively get to the center. Mm-hmm. But what I feel like... Your voices, it's in the center of that. Got it. Right? Because when someone says to me, I am doing it for me and fuck everyone else. Well, okay, dude, but we exist in a world and there's a social contract. And I, I actually think that this is some sort of illusion where we're all, we're, all, we're all more interconnected, part of some sort of consciousness, mm-hmm. collective consciousness, than, than it may appear being in a physical body, I don't know if that made any fucking sense. Well, what? But if by but by you saying I'm making it for me and no one else, you're almost chopping. You're denying your own humanity. What I, I I hear that, and what it reminds me of is an element of myself, which is like I am afraid to be in personally, and I feel afraid to be in relationship because I'm afraid I'll lose me, and right. therefore the safest thing to do is go fuck it. I'm just going to make sure that I have me at the least, which is like mm-hmm. what the artist is saying. Is right. like, this is my vision because I don't know how to have my vision in a way that cooperates and is involved with someone else's vision without sacrificing one of us. And right. I'm tired of sacrificing myself. Yes. And there is a way to do both that is exactly. more mature. Well, yeah. not only there's a way, your higher self Wants you exists to do it that way. Yes. In that middle. Because why make something, like look, if you know the feeling and it's inside of you and you're familiar with it, you don't need to manifest that poem or <laughs> anything yeah. in other to like create that feeling in someone else. It is in some ways, it is both an expression of yourself and a gift to other people. One thousand percent. Where should, um, what would you like people to check out? Is it Captain Laserhawk? Is there something else that you have coming out? I know you've got games. Yeah. Point, um, them, point them wherever you want. 
Uh, Captain Laserhawk. You know, Captain Laserhawk. Blood on Dragon Netflix. Remix. It's streaming right now, all six episodes on Netflix. Um, and then there's a Devil May Cry series in the works, um, which has been announced. So it's not like a spoiler or anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, more stuff, more stuff on the way. Um, yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. Well, thank you. Thank you for the chat, Jenny. Yeah. It was been silently here. Thank you for your patience. This was super dope. <laughs> it was a great time, man. We'll catch you guys later. Peace. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.